just want to give the band a hand for leading us this morning. Thank you, guys. You guys can be seated. Um, well, welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ, who love God and who love people. And so my name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. And all fall we've been in this series in the book of 1 Thessalonians called Thriving, Flourishing, and Faithfulness. And so this, this book of 1 Thessalonians is a letter that the Apostle Paul, church planter, pastor, wrote half of the New Testament, writes to this church in this Roman uh, Greek city of Thessalonica um, to, to help them uh, continue uh, in ways that are flourishing, uh, to continue in faithfulness, to continue to thrive, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of, of division. And, and so he writes this letter to them to, to try to, in one hand, give them hope, in the other hand, to encourage that they would continue to grow in holiness. Uh, and so he began it by laying out some truths of the gospel, of who Jesus Christ is as the Son of God, uh, what it means to live a life in response to that. And then he transitions the letter about halfway through and he says, hey, you know, it's important to know what's true about God. Now let's talk about how that actually applies to your life. Meaning, how do you, if your faith is in Jesus, actually live in response to being adopted into God's family through faith in Christ? who are being saved from sin by Jesus' work on the cross, by being a citizen of a new and forever kingdom because of God um, uh, welcoming you in through your surrender to his kingdom and to his power and to his mercy and grace. And, and so um, halfway through, he begins to talk about, hey, your sexuality actually matters and how it's, how it's practiced and how it's expressed. And so live your life uh, in the ways that God has, has designed and ordained for your flourishing, yes, but also because of the implications it has for, for your church and for your family and for your community. And he's talked, he's talked to people about what, what does it look like to, to work hard, to, to, to live quietly, meaning not quarrelsome, uh, to, to kind of to be steady, to be a, a pillar within your community in some way, shape, or form. And then because the church had faced great persecution— because people had believed and knew that, that Jesus coming back was, was a huge idea in Scripture and what that was going to mean for, for the flourishing of God's people. Uh, people were concerned that, that people who were dying uh, wouldn't get to be with Jesus. And so he gives them hope in, in the resurrection of Jesus and how we grieve like those, not with no hope. So we, we do grieve, we do process grief. And then last week we saw, hey, what does it look like when you are completely terrified that the end of the world might be any moment. And you're like, yeah, no, that's how I feel right now. Like I wake up and I read the news and I'm like, can't get worse than this. And then the next day happens and you're like, oh, okay, so now we think Osama bin Laden's cool again. Like that's, that's a thing now on TikTok. If you don't have TikTok, don't download it. I don't, that's like not pastoral. It's just, just don't. It's probably not gonna be helpful. Um, and so like there's just crazy things happening in the world. And so when they're, they're happening, we get super anxious and we start to, to fear like the rest of the world that thinks this is all there is. And so Paul gives good theology about what it looks like for God to return for the purposes of giving comfort in the midst of difficulty, of fear, of tribulation, uh, all those different things. So that while we don't grieve like those with no hope, even when we have fear, we don't process that fear 
like those who also have no hope, that there's a God who's greater, there's a God who loves, there's a God who saves, that the trajectory of history ends with Jesus' return and righteousness, holiness, and goodness reigning forever. And so there's a lot of things that, you know, as a pastor and as just a person uh, navigating uh, 2023 uh, and all that's going on, that I would love to get to talk to you uh, this morning on how we could... Um, you know, understand things geopolitically and, and spiritually speaking behind all those things. But, but Paul, when he's talking to this church that was in just as pluralistic a society as we are, in just as uh, a sexually confused society as we are, just a divided society uh, as we are, he begins to land the plane on this letter, and we'll be doing that over the next couple weeks. And when he does, he, sa- he begins to talk to them, to the church, as a church. That part of how you and I and we are going to endure the difficult things in our marriage, the, the, the difficulties we have when we face disease or cancer, the difficulties when we face job loss, when we face relational discord, all of those things, part of how God ministers to us, cares for us in those, is giving us a church community, giving us a gospel community. That your relationship with Jesus, while individual, also has what we'd call corporate implications. Meaning that you are not just a one-on-one Christian with you and God, but as a Christian, as a son of the king adopted into the family, that we are now brothers and sisters. And so you're part of a family. And yeah, it's a dysfunctional family at times, uh, and and, uh, it's an interesting family at times, but, but a family nonetheless. A family of people who've been redeemed from the consequences of their sin. A family of people who've been adopted spiritually who were spiritual orphans before. And so like spiritual orphans coming into a family, we all have a lot of mess that we bring in together. And so as we try to shape a church culture, and for some of us who've been doing ministry together for 5, 10, 15 years, seen ups and downs and awesome seasons and exciting seasons and painful seasons and difficult seasons, we, we begin to, to worry even about our own endurance in that. And we kind of want to just pull back or not sure how we're going to endure with that. And so Paul in this letter is writing to this church to kind of give them some understanding of kind of four key ingredients They're going to help them continue to thrive as a church. And, and, you know, ingredients matter, right? I've I've been traveling uh, a lot over the last uh, 10 days. I've been speaking at a men's retreat. I've been at conferences for one of our church networks. I've been helping to assess pastors for another one of our church networks. And so when you're traveling a lot, right, you don't get a a lot of home cooking. And so you just find yourself, um, you know, invariably, maybe, maybe more than once over the last week at a place like Chipotle, Right? You know, and Chipotle's not a failure. It can be. I feel like I've, you know, failed somehow when I've walked in the door. But so when you go into Chipotle, if you don't know that, that's the burrito bar, right? And it's all those ingredients. And, 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 and so I, well, I, I do like Chipotle because I, I feel like a, I have a modicum of control uh, over the things. And so, yes, I want this. No, I don't want that. Yes, double meat every time. Why are you asking me? Of course I want double meat. Um, sometimes steak and chicken. Um, there's probably verses against like blending meats. I don't know. I don't care. I want the whole farm. And so the, the deal is though, right, with, with Chipotle, with a burrito, right, every ingredient firing matters, right? Like they leave out that sour cream too long, that's a bad burrito. If you don't remember, like maybe seven, eight years ago, Chipotle had to shut a bunch of stores down. Why? 
salmonella or E. coli. I don't know, one of the bad ones. And, and you're just like, oh. So imagine you get your burrito and you've got, you've got the beans, you've got rice, you've got double meat and, 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 and all the things. And one of the ingredients is just really wrong. No amount of the other ingredients being better is going to fix that. Right? So we need to have a holistic understanding of what church health looks like. And this might seem kind of leadership focused. This might seem kind of church culture focused as we talk about it. But I want us to have in the back of our minds a thriving church culture is important for our individual and collective flourishing. A thriving church culture is important for our individual and our collective thriving. So there's four key ingredients that we're going to look at in this sermon. Um, uh, respecting respectable leaders is number one. Number two um, is rejuvenating struggling individuals. Number three is rejoicing in God's will. And number four is relying on the Holy Spirit. So let's look at this first ingredient. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 12 through 22 today. And it says this, verses 12 through 13 is that first ingredient, respecting respectable leaders. And he says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So first ingredient, respecting respectable leaders. And so thriving churches, they, they respect their leaders. And so uh, unlike the rest of the Bible that says something like, hey, honor your father and mother, um, right? It doesn't always say like if they're honorable, just like, hey, this is something you need to do uh, in, in some regards. When Paul and the, and, and the Bible talks about honoring leaders or rather respecting leaders, it does imply that the leaders in some way, shape, or form are acting, living, leading in some way respectably. And so it's not a call to just because somebody's got pastor uh, on their title uh, or just because somebody's been to seminary or just because somebody's been in leadership or just because somebody has a podcast or just because somebody has a bunch of Instagram followers that you need to respect what they say and do. Because he dials it in a bit, doesn't just say respect or honor leaders. He begins to actually talk about what these leaders, uh, not just their lives, but, but what their orientation and relationship with the church is. And so he talks about two ways that leaders react and interact with the church. He says, respect rather, we ask you brothers and sisters, respect those who labor among you. So this implies that leaders in a church are actually among and part of the gospel community. So this again, now all of a sudden, your favorite podcaster, your favorite person on Instagram, the favorite person on Twitter, you, you might get edified from that or there, there might be ways that you can learn from them, but, but they're not the leaders that are among you. They're not the people like working and serving uh, among you that are part of the church that you're a part of. And so f uh, flourishing leaders are in gospel community. They're not apart from it or aloof from it. And so they're, they're present. Like they're accessible. Like you can actually talk to them. You can engage with them. Uh, at one point, um, uh, Paul in one of his letters says, I shared with you the gospel and I shared with you my very life. There's this understanding that he was known in their gospel community, even when he was with them just for a little while. 
And so these type of leaders understand that there's a connection between public ministry, even just as something as public as this, just standing up and being here, and personal ministry actually engaging with one another. He also says they're hard workers. They're known as laborers in the church. They get stuff done. They labor specifically in preaching and teaching, and, and, and they, they work like farmers. They man their post like good soldiers in the trenches. He also goes on to say, okay, they're, they're among you. He also says they are over you in the Lord. So while good leaders are among the flock, they are also over the flock in the sense that they, the Bible would call them under-shepherds. That there actually is like a, a distinct and unique roles for, for elders, for teachers, for pastors, for leaders within the church. Not because these people are, uh, have any more value in the kingdom, but just because of their distinction in how they engage and what their part of engaging with the body looks like. And so leaders and pastors are Christians first. He says they are leaders in the Lord. Their identity isn't found in their leadership. So at some point, if I don't become a pastor anymore, I shouldn't have an existential crisis because my identity isn't Chris, who's a pastor at a church in Snohomish County. It's in Christ and what Jesus has done for me. And they serve and they lead like Christ as servant leaders. And, and you're like, well, okay, hey, that's great. Over, among, what, why are these both important? And what happens if they're not present? Um, see, there's consequences for the church and for the community and, and for even the gospel itself uh, and the mission if there's an overemphasis in one and not the other. And so in no way, shape, or form should you hear me say that I've crushed it on either one of these, um, but I can tell you what happens when these fail. So if you are a leader or you have a leader in your church, or your church is being led by leaders who are among but aren't over, then it means they don't provide compelling vision, and their leadership ends up being ineffective. So flourishing ends up turning into wilting. The Bible says where the, their vision lacks, people perish. And so they become led by the church. And, and, and you're like, well, okay, I mean, shouldn't we all be democratic? Like, yeah, I mean, hey, that, that's the way the, the, the world works. But like, at a certain point, if you are only led by what everybody in the church wants to do uh, or, or whatnot, th then you're not actually leading. And so I, I've seen this often and, and even experienced at this point, and I can say, I think part of why this happens is leaders get fearful. And so we don't want to do things that might rock the boat or might upset constituencies within the church. And so ultimately they become led by the church rather than them doing what they're called to do, which is engage in helping lead the church. I was doing pastoral assessments this week, uh, and we were assessing pastors who were going to uh, become, uh, succeed uh, senior pastors who were retiring. And in a couple of these churches, they were historic churches in the town. Uh, the pastor there had had, you know, 18, 20 years of ministry at that place. He was at retirement age, and another leader was going to succeed him. And we pulled that leader aside, because we were concerned that, that the leader who would come in might get chewed up and spit out by the church, because this church had had a history of, uh, of just like, oh yeah? You want to make some changes? That's fine. We'll outlast you. And, and this man who is retirement age in tears at lunch said, I've been the pastor here for 18 years and this church has never allowed me to lead. And the guy before me who handed the baton to me was there for 15 years and the church never allowed him to lead. That church in that town has been less effective missionally. And They've had pastors who have served now for multiple decades who, who they're, they're ending their run. They've been faithful. 
But their effectiveness has been limited, and I think even more so than that, I, I could just imagine the discouragement and the pain that that guy felt as he's finishing his race. So sometimes that happens, right? Leaders don't want to lead. But here's the other one. We know this one, too. Because this, like, th- like th- those stories never make it to podcasts. Those stories um, n- never, like, get on articles about, you know, pastors because church is blowing up or whatever else because, because it, it, nobody cares. Because the, everybody in the church is happy, or at least the power brokers are. And meanwhile, that community is just chewing up and spitting out churches. That happened, in, I mean, in this building for about 20 years. Just, you know, hey, we'll, we'll, you know, when this was Marysville First Baptist, it was just, hey, another, another six, seven years, another three, four years, we'll make it through. Well, I'll last you. The other one, though, is difficult, um, and it's, it's what happens when leaders uh, are over the flock but not among it. So if the first one is, hey, I love the sheep, I care for the sheep, and you just forget there's a whole flock that needs to be led, this one is, hey, the flock needs to go somewhere, and I forget but we forget that the flock is made up of individual sheep. And so because there's not relationship, because uh, there's not connection, because there's not being patient and, and, and trying to help, help shepherd folks along to either where they need to go or where the church needs to go, then what happens is there ends up being a lot of collateral damage. And we've seen that play out in, in our region as well. And so the, the answer to either one of these is, is not to simply say, hey, um, you know, uh, Chuck, one way is better, the other way is not, but it's actually to grow in both. Where strong and faithful leaders should, should grow in their depth of, of, um, of care uh, and web of relationship with the community and also grow in courage and clarity of, of vision for where it should go. And so I'll just, I mean, I'll just confess to you, I mean, there's definitely been times as a leader I've been fearful and, and not wanted to lead the direction I think that we need to go. Or been worried about, oh, well, if we make this move or we make this change or if this happens, like, then, then, then how are these people going to react? And so that hurts sometimes, right? And so both of these need to be held in tension. The answer is to not ignore either orientation, but to grow in both of them. That the leaders recognize they play a role not only in leading the church organizationally, but caring for it pastorally. And so he says, hey, when this is happening... When your leaders are there, they're, they're laboring, they're working hard, they're among you, they're over you, they're in, wa- trying to walk in that tension. Then the thriving church says, hey, we're going to respect those leaders who are respectable. And he says, hey, we respect them in love. He says, respect them in love because at the end of the day, we're all just brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all part of the same family. And so the orientation, the way you think about leadership in the life of the church is different than leadership in the business world or, or coaches uh, or, or um, other arenas, teachers or whatnot, because it's not um, supposed to be uh, overly hierarchical and it's not mom and dad and then there's the kids, right? I mean, that's how the family should work, right? I mean, we, that, that, that among but not over is what happens we see in families when there's child-led parenting, Right? Like, hold up. No, mom and dad should set some course and set some direction, right? But it's not mom and dad versus the kids. It's not board of directors versus the employees and the shareholders. It's brotherly affection. Yeah, maybe at times big brother. Oh, not like the 1984 way. I didn't really think that one through when I said that. It's, it's brotherly like, hey, we're brothers, but maybe, maybe some of us have a little more authority or a little more responsibility in what we have going on. 
He said they should be esteemed because of their work. And so when flourishing leaders are working hard over the church, they're rooted in their gospel identity and members of the church are responding um, with respect and love. Um, and it's a there's a mutuality. And so he says, let there be peace among you. When this isn't happening, right, there at least a conflict. And so the, the call here is saying, hey, one of the ways you can respect leaders is be peaceful with one another. Another way we can all work together is, is um, to, to maintain unity and peace in the gospel as we continue to pursue ahead on our mission. All right, that's one. We've talked about leaders. Um, yeah, it, it was kind of funny on our, on our Slack channel um, when I sent the notes out. Somebody's like, well, Chris, what, what music do you want us to, to play then? You know, it was kind of like a joke, like they're going to sing songs for Chris as a respected leader. Um, we're like, no, we just sing about Jesus. Um, I mean, I don't know. Songs about me would be goofy, probably be, um, I don't know. We're, we're, out, we're out of the notes, guys. Let's get refocused. It's been a long week, okay? Part two, rejuvenating struggling individuals. Rejuvenating struggling individuals. And so th this one's going to be uh, a little more about how we care for one another. Uh, and it says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15 says this. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, so this is a church community. This is not just for pastors. This is for you and me, for all of us. He, he says, do these things. He says, admonish the idle, or some translations say the disorderly or undisciplined. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak, be patient with them all. See, no one repays evil or anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And so part of how we're going to flourish as a church is recognizing that like I said, that burrito has all those different ingredients. We've got to recognize that as a church, we're all a bunch of different ingredients to this gospel community, to the culture that we're going to have as a church. As the temperature in the world gets hotter and more anxious, are we going to be peaceful and settled? As there's more division and disunity in, in the world, are we going to be more unified and harmonious? As the, the world um, falls into greater anxiety and angst and anger, are we going to have a settled sense of peace based on our identity in Christ? Are we going to man uh, the, the, the posts and responsibilities we've been given, or are we going to do like the world and we're going to pass the buck on to somebody else? That's what he's saying here. And so he's saying us as a church, if we're going to flourish, then it means like, like the strength of our gospel community, as much as we can thrive as Mercy Fellowship on mission for the gospel, uh, 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 people who are saved by Jesus' work, changed by Jesus' grace, living on Jesus' mission, is going to have to do with how are we doing as individuals? And so he's saying some individuals, and I would say all of us at different points are going to fall into these categories, that all of us need to be rejuvenated, that we need to grow in greater health, that sometimes in sin or in ignorance, we end up having actions, attitudes, and abilities that, that are, are unproductive or unhealthy. And so he's saying, hey, this church can flourish as we help these folks grow. And like I said, this is not a command to pastors only. This is to the church, that we would care for one another, that we would minister to one another, that we would pastor one another in ways that are ultimately life-giving. And so he says three things. Number one, he says, admonish the idle. Admonish the idle or the undisciplined. So these are people who, who to be clear, can work and don't, or could be on mission and aren't, who have the tools or the abilities or the opportunities for flourishing, but are choosing to continue to walk 
in ways that are undisciplined or unfruitful. They know God's commands and instructions, but they just continue to either disobey uh, openly or, or, or rebel. And so no, no rejuvenation can be given when they're ignoring or never reminded what God has called them to do. And so there's this admonishment word. It's a bit of a challenge, like, hey, let's get a little fire lit uh, under you. Like, hey, the way you're going's not helpful or healthy. Like, I want better for you, or you should at least want better for you. And so with it, there's a, there's a bit of a suck it up buttercup, right? And say, hey, hey, you were made for a purpose. You were made for flourishing in your family. You were made for flourishing in your work. And, and we read that like here in Thessalonica, some people were so focused on the end times that they were ready to check out. And Paul's having to tell them over and over, get back to work. Yeah, Jesus might be coming back on Tuesday. We might be coming back on Tuesday 2,000 years from now or 10,000 years from now. We know we're closer than we were before, but we also know nobody knows when it's going to happen. So while you're waiting, quit sitting around. Get on mission. Lead in your family. Lead in your job. Like, like, like be engaged with your spouse. Care as a parent. Serve in your church community. And so... It's loving to admonish the idol and those who are disobedient to God's word to live lives in response to the gospel. I mean, like, this, is, this is how Jesus acted at different points. He interacts with people differently in different ways. And so he's saying here, Paul's saying here, that as disciples of Jesus, we should by definition live lives that include a bit of discipline that are profitable for them in the world. Number two, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. These are the unhopeful. These are people who maybe know some of the truths of God. They've, they've, they've been living in the world, as we all are, and, and at certain points, they're like, hey, I'm just being realistic with how things are. This marriage is really tough right now. This economy is really tough right now. This church is really difficult right now. Whatever's going on in their sphere or their world, like they're seeing the pain, they're seeing the brokenness. And he doesn't say admonish, it, it, admonish the faint-hearted. He's saying, no, these people don't need to be reminded what to do. These are people that need to be encouraged to be reminded what's true. So maybe they do just, just need to like have a little bit of hope to be encouraged in the ways that they've been faithful, to be reminded of God's promise. They don't need to be called to greater obedience. They need to be called to deeper faith. And so we don't want to be people like Job's friends who are like, oh man, Job, the reason you're suffering is because you're not faithful enough. Right, that's in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a long um, uh, story, but, but Job was suffering greatly, and, and, and the Bible takes a lot of verses to describe what bad counseling looks like. And it's his friend saying, well, you know this is happening to you because you don't have enough faith. Well, how stinking discouraging is that? Like, oh, I'm suffering. It's, I'm, it's, oh, man, things are difficult. I just, I feel like I'm discouraged. I feel like maybe I'm even depressed. Well, you know why you're depressed? It's because you don't have enough faith. Like, do better. Like, I, I've been trying. Yeah, well, maybe you're just not that great. No, I know that. That's why I'm saying I'm depressed, right? He's saying, no, no. Don't admonish the faint-hearted or the unhopeful. Encourage them. Give them the hope of the gospel. Remind them of who Jesus is and what he's done. 
And then he says this, number three. Help the weak. Help the weak. These are the unequipped. So this is times where, where as individuals, we're not struggling with obedience or faith or even effort. But because of uh, a word the Bible uses called iniquity, meaning kind of bent out of shapeness, that all of us are just a little, we're just all a little jacked up. Every one of us has some things, things that are just a little bit off and a little bit wrong, and, and we have blind spots. Maybe it's blind spots uh, because of just our personality is. Maybe it's times that we've walked in sin, and so we've been in addiction, or there's been these consequences, or maybe we've grown up in family systems and structures that aren't healthy. Like, it doesn't matter what the reason is. He's saying sometimes there's people who you can't just say, hey, if you could try harder, that'd be great. Or, hey, you know what to do, just, just like, like walking. This is like, hey, you don't have the tools to do this job. Like, you don't have the strength to do this on your own. And, and that's an okay place to be. Um, Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes to another church, and he says, let me tell you what Christian brotherhood looks like. He says, at times, it's, it's going to be bearing one another's burdens that's talking about something that is so big and so strong that you and I can't hold it on our own. That we need help to have that burden lifted. And then at other times, he says, hey, carry your load. And a load was how much a, a Roman soldier was designed to carry into battle. That, that we're, all, we're all designed to carry something. And yet all of us, if we are actually honest, are walking with a bit of a limp. Have muscles that are underdeveloped have skill sets that, that haven't been cultivated or flourished. And so he's saying for those disciples, and they're struggling, then the gospel community comes alongside the unequipped to help carry what they cannot. So it's not helpful, right, if we start to misapply these different things and you tell somebody with an inability to just try harder. That's not what... Jesus does. That's not how the gospel impacts us. And maybe right now as I've walked through these, you've got your list in your head of the people you know that fall into those different categories. I would just encourage you that we all fall into one of those categories at some point. So maybe take a moment to even think about where do I need to be admonished and told to just keep going? Where do I need to be encouraged because I'm discouraged? And then where do I need to seek out help? Because there's, there's, there's a part of this that I don't get yet. And so that's one of the things that like, again, over this last week, working with a bunch of different leaders from different tribes and, and different groups that we're a part of, is just being reminded that like, wow, we all have our strengths and we all have our weaknesses. And sometimes the best thing we can do is actually just be honest about those weaknesses and where we're struggling. So for me, sometimes it is, I'm just really, really discouraged. I need to be reminded to get going. Sometimes for me it is, hey, dude, you know what to do. Just, just, just go do it. Come on, step up. And sometimes there's like, hey, I've never done this before. I could use some help with somebody with wisdom and experience who's walked this out before me. This is how we rejuvenate struggling individuals. And here's what I love is, I mean, already in my mind as I read these verses, I think, well, yeah, admonishing the idols, uh, idol, that's kind of fun, right? You know, just yelling at people, okay. But no, with, with all of them, he says, regardless of what category, be patient with them all. Be patient. 
Guys, we're on a long marathon journey of faith together. Some of us will run miles together here at Mercy Fellowship. Sometimes we'll go to different churches and all these different things. But like our lifetime with Christ is, is a marathon. It's a long run. And growth and change and development looks different at different paces. So that means that we need to be patient with one another, with where we're at to be discerning. It also means like we need to know one another well enough to know uh, and, and, and like is, is this a, a time where somebody's like just being undisciplined and needs to be admonished and, in, and charged or is this a time that somebody's just really despairing and needs to be encouraged or is this, is this like an area of weakness, a big blind spot that like, like that's gonna require something different. That requires a lot of patience. Requires a lot of curiosity on how others are doing and also what, what do I need? What do you need? And so he says, don't retaliate too. Because he's like, as you're being patient, you might get really frustrated with the idol. You might get wore out by the week. You might be like, oh man, so-and-so is always an Eeyore. They're always so discouraged, you know, right? I, I can't have that Eeyore energy in my life. And so sometimes because we're a gospel community and we are like, like a bunch of saved sinners and, and with our own brokenness, we're gonna hurt one another. And when that happens, we're gonna wanna retaliate. And he's saying, no, we're going to have to be patient. At other points, he tells the Corinthian church, why not suffer wrong? Yeah, there's times that church discipline needs to happen, and there's times that, you know, big changes need to happen. That, that's all fine and good, but, but it starts with, like, long-suffering, and it starts with patience. Seeking to do good. That word also means pursuing kindness. And so it's not just, hey, don't strike back, but it's like instead, let's all have an orientation of kindness towards one another. Okay, ingredient number three. So these, these first two ingredients I've spent the most time with, the next two will be a, a little shorter, but these have been about our horizontal relationship with one another. How do we as Christians interact with one another as leaders and as members of the church? Number three, rejoice in God's will. These next two ingredients are about our relationship with God. Again, individually and as a church. And so uh, ingredient number three, rejoice in God's will. Verse 16 and 18 says this. He says, rejoice always. Always? Always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Flourishing churches have healthy relationships with one another, but we also have a flourishing divine connection with our God and creator who's made us. Our leaders and one another keep pointing one another to our creator of the universe, to our God and King Jesus Christ. And so we rejoice in God's will. I mean, just... I mean, during the life cycle of churches, during a life cycle of your life and, and even just the arc of the way our community and state and region and country and world are going, like there is going to be difficult in different circumstances. Sometimes there are really, really enjoyable seasons. I'll, I'll just tell you, like, I feel like the last six, nine, eight months here at Mercy Fellowship has been a really enjoyable season. As a staff team, as volunteers, we are, it seems like we're regularly celebrating wins. That hasn't always been the case. So, like, let's celebrate when there's times to celebrate. Yes and amen, there's been some really great things going on. And also know that there's other times where things aren't always going well, where there's not always wins stacking up, that there's some steadfastness. 
And so he's saying, and you as a church continue to worship and petition and trust in the goodness of our God who's overall. Our God who's ultimately in charge. That God has a plan for your life, for your family's life, for our church, for our community and country. And so regardless of the unique situation that we find ourselves in, he says, rejoice always. And you're like, Really? Always? Like, there's some difficult circumstances. And he's saying, no, rejoice, that is joy, is different than happiness. It doesn't mean you have to like everything going on. It is, joy is a heart orientation. It is a characteristic of an individual and as a church, not of constant happiness, but of confident joy that Jesus Christ is at work, that Jesus Christ is present, that God hears our prayers and cries, that God knows what's going on in our lives and circumstances, and ultimately, he will work out all things for good for those who love him according to his purposes and will. And so, there's this understanding of God's mercy and grace that we know that God can take even difficult and painful and awful circumstances and make them joyful because he did that with Jesus on the cross. I can think of few, I can't think of anything more awful and discouraging than the Son of God being beaten and murdered and placed on a cross to suffer and die publicly in shame, horribly, as a criminal, as a rebel, to be dead and buried. The, the people who'd been following Jesus for years, can you imagine maybe they were a little discouraged? I know that wasn't a good day for the church that day. No, actually, we call it a good day. It was Good Friday. We call it Good Friday because, because God was using that terrible circumstance to be what atones for my sin and your sin and our sin. The, the judgment that the separation from God, that the wrath that we deserve for our sin is placed on Christ. And he gives us, and you and me, when our faith in Christ, his, what's called righteousness, his right standing before God. That he was dead and buried and three days later rose. That we are Christians, so we are people who believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so because we know Jesus has conquered death, then we know we're living on the other side of Jesus coming out of the tomb that Jesus has risen and ascended and says, behold, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. And in the midst of that authority, in the midst of God's will, God's sovereignty, Jesus being in charge, he says, now you, church, go make disciples of all nations. That you and I, and we, we have purpose because of this. That we can be joyful warriors. In the last couple weeks we've talked about that we are children of the day, children of light, not children of night, not children of darkness. And so that means no matter how dark the world gets, we can continue to shine the light of joy out to it because our faith is not in our circumstances, but in our God who's in control over all. So we have hope. And you're like, how can, how, I want that. I want that joy in all circumstances. How can I feel that connection with God in all circumstances? That's the next phrase he says. Pray without ceasing. That we know our God's a relational God. 
We know our God's a relational God, again, because Jesus incarnated, showed up into the world, and then was in relationship with people. And he says, one is coming who is going to be a comforter to you, and you're going to see greater things done, and he promises that we will have the Holy Spirit. And then we get to, to pray to God, knowing that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, petitioning for us, so you and I can have conversations with God ongoing. It's a text, text thread that never ends, and also isn't annoying, right? We've all been on that text thread. Now the, how do I turn on the, off the notifications on this one? We do that. I want you to know, no matter how annoying your texts get to God, He never turns off the notifications, Pray without ceasing. Petition God. Be in conversation with God. Know that he hears you. Know that he cares about your suffering. Know that he wants to savor your wins. Know that he wants to help your heart be tuned away from discouragement, but to gratitude. That is part of how we commune with God. That is how we can rejoice and give thanks, he says. Give thanks in all circumstances, that not only do we have joy, not only are we in communion with God, but we actually move to then be people of gratitude, of great gratitude for who God is and for what he's done, that he saved us, that he gathers us, that he grows us. And Paul says twice here, right? Rejoice always and then give thanks in all circumstances because he knows that we will pick and choose. This isn't a good circumstance, so I'm not going to give thanks. God, why didn't you show up there? And so he's saying, no, pray without ceasing. Have your heart turned and tuned to gratitude in all circumstances. I want to be really clear. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances, but rather in all circumstances. You don't need to be a spiritual masochist and thank God for pain and trial and adversity and difficulty. But what he's saying is that we have the ability. We have the ability to have heart attitudes that are grateful to God even in the midst of these things because we're not alone. And if you're like, I don't, how does that happen? Like that just seems like something supernatural would have to happen to turn my heart attitude in these difficult situations from frustration, from fear, from depression, into gratefulness, into joy, into endurance, into being a happy warrior. And if you're like, I don't think I can do that on my own, I want you to know you're right. And God doesn't expect you to do that on your own. He's given you and I a gift. That's the fourth and final ingredient for a flourishing gospel church. This last verses as we close. Relying on the Holy Spirit. Relying on the Holy Spirit, verses 19 through 22. Last verses as we close. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, holding fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So hopefully the church has respectable leaders, 
Hopefully we're rejuvenating struggling individuals. Uh, we, we desire to rejoice in God's will, in season, out of season, when things are great, when things are difficult. And the way that we are able to do that, the way leaders can lead respectively, the way as members of churches we can rejuvenate one another in struggling circumstances is not because we are inherently gifted on our own. The only way this church lives, dies, thrives, and flourishes is the same thing that sustains and holds your faith and my faith. And it is not your intensity. It is not your gifting. It is not your talent. It is not even necessarily just do you have good, good or bad people around you. It is if we, if I, if you will be not people who are independent, but people who are reliant. That we be a people who are reliant on the Holy Spirit. See, the Thessalonian church, man, they knew their Bibles. They were good Bible people. They, they knew good teaching. They knew what was false. They knew what was wrong. They knew not how to get too progressive. They knew not how to get too, too wacky, uh, patriotic, and kind of, you know, like, like, like they, they knew the things. And often, Paul says in his letter, there, I have no need to write to you. Like, you, you, guys, you guys got it. But what he has to tell them here, do not quench the Holy Spirit. That we don't want to be people that have knowledge that builds up, or knowledge that puffs up, rather. We want to have people that have the Holy Spirit that gives us knowledge that helps build us, that helps build one another. And so you and I and we, we need to be reliant on the Holy Spirit. That we need to be Spirit-led and sometimes that can lead to charismatic craziness. I mean, Paul writes a whole letter to the Corinthian church, and they need like three chapters on like, hey, you guys, your services, they're really freaking people out. Like you're doing stuff, outsiders are coming in, they're like, your church is weird. Really, really weird. Stop it. Like, and that's like three chapters uh, of just like clear instruction. With the Thessalonian church, he's like, you know, it's okay to raise your hand. Like while you're singing, if you want to sway, Nobody's going to get mad at you. Like, while I'm preaching, if you want to say amen, you can say amen, right? Like, that's okay, right? You want to laugh, you can laugh, like, that's okay. He's saying, you can actually be led by the Spirit. Now, what I've just listed are, like, really, really superficial things, of course. But the Thessalonian church is like, we know it. That song's really good. You might go, mm-hmm. He's like, well, hold up. I've told you to rejoice always. I've told you to give thanks in all circumstances. That when you gather together as the church and you've got respectable leaders and you're rejuvenating one another and you're, re you're resting in God's will, like it's okay to have some joy. It's okay that your services and your time together would be times of celebration. And so if we're going to endure, it's going to be because of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. There's something else, I know we're, we're getting over time, but there's something I want to point out to you. In these verses, okay, he says, don't quench the Spirit. Look back at these verses, and you'll see love and peace in verse 13. Patience and gentleness are applied in verse 14. Goodness and kindness are implied in verse 15. Joy is listed in verse 16. Giving thanks in all circumstances requires faithfulness. Shepherding others and ourselves will require self-control. And if you know your Bibles, you know in Galatians 5, that's what he calls the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That as he's walked through all of these instructions for the church, he's embedding and kneading in the dough of the ingredients of this church, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. That we should be people 
with love, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's the ingredients of a flourishing church. That if God can move a heart of stone into a heart of flesh that beats for God, that we should be people that are reliant on that God for our faith. He says, do not despise the prophecies. This is not like these infallible this things. The Lord is saying, as much as people are preaching and teaching what is true about God's word, embrace it. That might require you and I and we to actually like read and know our Bibles, to know God's word. He also says, test everything. To know if every sermon point makes sense or whatever songs we're singing are aligned with what's true uh, about God. And so... Thriving churches will have their foundations laid and message, uh, message and mission flourishing through God's Spirit-inspired words. This is a thriving church. And I do believe that we are experiencing a season of thriving. It's been a joy this past season. Like the Thessalonian church was doing great, and they said, let's, let's keep going. Let's keep doing it more and more. So let's be a people who respect and have respectable leaders who are rejuvenating Struggling individuals who are, who are um, uh, reliant on God's will, rejoicing in God's will, and are reliant on the Holy Spirit as we continue to simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.